I'm Don Tess, better known as the Don of Beer. And I'm M. Sauter, better known as Pints and Panels. Welcome to the 13th episode of the All About Beer podcast. Every two weeks, we talk with leading experts and take a deep dive into one topic in beer. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow us on social media at allaboutbeer. And if you want to throw us a few bucks, visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to support this show and others. This week on the show, we're going to talk about off flavors in beer. We have two awesome guests. Amy Garlett is the quality technician at Dogfish Head Craft Brewery and Cara Simpson of Cara Technology, which makes Aroxa certified flavor standards, which are flavor training tools. So M, I know uh, you like to do um, uh, off flavor pints and panels drawings. So what, yeah, what is the off flavor that you most dislike? So I have a random one and it's ethyl acetate. And technically ethyl acetate is not an off flavor at low levels. It is present in every beer that we drink. Uh, It is an ester. Uh, But when it reaches high levels, it makes beer taste like solvent. And it is disgusting. Um, High gravity beers tend to have this problem when you brew something really high gravity and then you water it down. Um, They can be um, like ethyl acetate bombs. And it's just like, oh, cool. A glass of nail polish remover is what I've always wanted. (laughs) Like, it's really really unpleasant so why, what about uh, uh what about well, you do you have a list i wanted to ask you though if you knew why uh why high gravity beers would have so much ethyl acetate is I it because you're stressing the yeast oh and, i see and so oh. and you're, it can also be like fermentate yeah so you're making yeast do something that they don't want to do um and then it's also temperature uh ethyl acetate can also be temperature dependent so if you're um let's say you're supposed to ferment at 68, but you're fermenting at like 75 Fahrenheit or something higher, um, ethyl acetate can get kind of out of control. And there really isn't any way for yeast to clean it up. It's not like diacetyl where they can reabsorb Mm. it and then push it out of something else like acetone. It's just, it's just uh, there. I believe that's the high gravity reason. I really, the thing about, I I am an advanced Cicerone and that doesn't mean anything at this right now, but um, <laughs> I really, I can really struggle with off flavors and how they're created. It's, uh, I did fail chemistry. Um, my teacher gave me a passing grade, so she'd never have me again. That is a hundred percent a true story. Uh, and I was not allowed to take any other uh, science classes after that um, because I was, um, my grades weren't good enough. So I'm very sensitive about chemistry and biology. Where I really struggle with those in high school. Um, so yeah, I'm always, when people ask me about off flavors, it's something I work really hard when I do pints and panels to make sure that they're 100% accurate. Yeah, right. I'm like, yeah. here, Master Cicerones, please read this. Um, or here, quality people. Like, is this correct? Because, right. you know, off flavors are everywhere. Yes. Um, you drink, I train by drinking bad beer, actually. Go to a brewery yes. you don't like and you go, all right, I brought some homebrew sheets. Let's judge these beers and go, huh. This beer has, you know, it's really, it's supposed to be a Blondale, but it's really phenolic. So it's really clovey, more like a Belgian. Like, why did they, why did that happen? And why, you know, like, yeah. and you take notes. It's a really great way for quality. And maybe go with a friend who knows, and then they can yeah, teach you. Go yeah. with a group of people for the day, visit some, you know, unfortunately in this time, there are some breweries that aren't great. Um, go in there, have a flight try try the samples and take notes and go what are you trying what is this what you know try this what do you think um that's kind of the way i do sensory on the cheap um so but it's uh what's your what's your least favorite i gotta ask before we get into oh uh i am super super sensitive to diastole Uh, Mm. i get it all the time when lathers don't Mm. um at which might people might think, well, then you're wrong, Don. But um, <laughs> I taste what I taste. I smell what I yep, smell. Yep, yep. And uh, I absolutely, I'm super sensitive to, to diastole. So, uh, well, uh, we'll introduce our guest and get into the conversation. But first, if you'd like to help support the All About Beer podcast, please reach out to podcast at allaboutbeer.com. Attention all managers and team leaders. Do you want to provide your staff with the best training in the beer industry? Look no further than Beer Savvy Online by the Cicerone Certification Program. In just a few hours, your team will master the fundamentals of excellent beer service, styles, and beer flavor. 
At the end of the course, your team can earn a globally recognized beer industry credential. And the best part, as a manager, you can monitor your team's learning progress. Set your business apart with a beer-savvy staff today. Learn more by visiting cicerone.org and click on the group training button. Amy Garlett is a sensory technologist at Dogfish Head Craft Brewery, who has been in the beer industry for over eight years, spending the first six as the brewery's microbiologist. She started home brewing while in grad school and got into beer judging shortly thereafter. Amy enjoys baking, dogs, and a classic West Coast IPA. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thanks for having me. So tell us what you do at Dogfish Head. So I am a production sensory technologist. So what that means is I uh, run our sensory operations here uh, at the Milton Brewery. Um, and that consists of uh, executing daily taste panels where we taste our product for release um, and also participating in any sort of uh, research and development sensory work we might need to do with descriptive analysis or difference testing um, or anything like that. What, what do you mean by difference testing? Uh, so difference testing is um, a type of tasting that you can do um, when you want to make a change to, say, a beer recipe. Oh, with, I see. Without necessarily changing the flavor profile. So say you want to change to a new malt supplier or something like that, but you are really happy with how your beer uh, already tastes and smells. You can change your recipe and then uh, taste that sample alongside a control before you made that change um, in what's called a triangle or a tetrad test. Um, and see if people can pick out the different sample. Um, and if a certain number of them cannot pick out the different sample, then you know that there was no uh, significant difference in the flavor profile. Okay. Um, so I actually wanted to ask, this has nothing to do with the point of our conversation, but I was mm -hmm. taking a look at you on Google and like you are, your training is in microbiology, studying bacterial and viral pathogens. So how do you end <laughs> up working at a brewery? Yeah, so uh, that's a good question. Uh, so while I was in grad school, um, I, you know, was studying all these bacterial pathogens, um, and I really enjoyed cooking and baking, and was starting to get into craft beer. And I thought, hey, I've heard that you can like brew beer at home, so I got a homebrew kit, um, and I started brewing um, in like my apartment kitchen, and just fell in love with it. Uh, and then I got introduced to beer judging through uh, my homebrew club, which I had the uh, sort of audacity to join after like my third batch. Um, and then I realized, hey, uh, beer actually is a very scientific endeavor. Um, and so I uh, started looking for brewery jobs uh, while I was in my postdoc, actually. Okay. Uh, and do you apply any of your your uh, academic training in your job today? Oh, totally. Um, actually, before I was the sensory technologist here, I was uh, the brewery microbiologist for about six years, um, growing brewing yeast for propagation, testing for uh, contaminating bacteria that can cause, you know, really gross off flavors, um, that sort of stuff. Um, and so I was basically doing microbiology every single day, which was really cool. Um, and while I don't necessarily do microbiology every day, I still apply a lot of scientific um, thought and, you know, experimental design and things like that. So I really am doing science on a daily basis, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So tell us what are, what, what are the most common off flavors that you would be looking for and that consumers should be looking for when they're, when they're drinking beer? Yeah, so there's a, a couple of different uh, big heavy hitters. Um, so um, diacetyl, which is that like sort of buttery uh, aroma and flavor um, that can be produced by either yeast that um, didn't really have the greatest uh, fermentation uh, because they weren't able to take that diacetyl up out of the solution. Um, and it can also come from uh, draft line infections, uh, which would also be probably paired with like a sour tang uh, in the beer. Um, that usually means that the uh, bar or restaurant uh, isn't maintaining their draft lines properly. Um, so those are two big ones to look out for. Um, one that I think uh, homebrewers come across a lot but can't really put their finger on uh, is sort of like a phenolic note. Um, so whether that's clove-like or plastic Band-Aid, um, it can even get sort of smoky. 
that usually uh, is an indicator of either poor yeast health or a wild yeast contamination. Um, those are uh, pretty common ones, I would say. Okay. You got to clean. That's yes. The... <laughs> Cleaning is super important. <laughs> Cleanliness mitigates a lot of these things so you don't have to. And then my other thing that I like about is yeast health. You know, a lot of people don't realize that yeast is a living organism and you need to take care of them. Mm -hmm. Like you would do like a pet or a co, you know, or coworker, or it's a, it's a employee in your brewery. And so yeah. when breweries don't treat their yeast well, or let the yeast get tired. I mean, there's a host of things that can happen in your beer that really destroy your quality. For sure. Yeah. And even just under pitching. So if you don't add the correct amount of yeast for uh, the beer that you're trying to make, um, you know, leads to a really long lag period. Those yeasts aren't like really uh, doing any sort of healthy metabolism at that point. They're kind of just struggling along. Um, and that's when you're going to run into issues with uh, them creating all sorts of uh, flavors and aromas that aren't particularly pleasant. Um, and additionally, if you do under pitch and you have, you know, way less yeast there than should be there to do the job, uh, if you have any sort of contamination, um, either wild yeast, bacteria, anything like that, uh, that really gives them an opportunity to start growing while there's still like a ton of sugar in that solution. So yeah, yeah definitely take care of your yeast. <laughs> yes. Um, you mentioned you do daily tastings. How mm -hmm. many how many people would be like on a panel at a tasting? And then how do you train them to ensure that they're all tasting the same way? Or do you want them to all taste the same way? Like maybe you like the fact that people dif taste differently. And but how do you make sure everybody is well trained on on tasting? And then the follow on question is how can people at home learn to taste? Wow. There's a, there's a lot to that. Okay. okay. So <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> you're good. Um, so for each of our daily panels, we do two panels a day um, and we're looking for a minimum of eight people to give us a significant result. Um, our panel is open to basically all of our panelists in the brewery who've been trained um, and it's sort of a drop-in thing. So panel is open for 45 minutes come by at any point in that 45 minutes, come to your, you know, five, 10 minutes of tasting and be on your merry way back to work. Um, some days we'll get exactly eight, some days we'll get 15 people um, mm -hmm. and we'll just collect all of their data together. Now to be an eligible panelist, you have to go through our new panelist training, uh, which takes about 15 to 16 hours, I would say. Um, wow. It's five three hour classes that I teach twice a year. And throughout the course of that class, we learn about all of our uh, core brand profiles. So we'll taste those multiple times and talk about uh, the aromas, flavors, uh, even appearance that we're expecting out of that product so that our panelists really get to know it and love it. Uh, and then we also introduce uh, 20 different off flavors uh, using uh, spikes. So we purchase the capsules from Aroxa and we'll uh, doctor the beer intentionally with known amounts of specific off flavors like diacetyl, acetaldehyde, uh, trans-tunanonol, which is a papery uh, aroma from oxidation. And we'll really drill those into people and talk about what causes those, how different people can perceive them um, and so forth. And that gives everybody sort of the same uh, vocabulary uh, to describe what's wrong with the beer. So that if we do have an issue with one of our products um, we have everybody speaking the same language as to what's wrong with it. And then it helps us figure out what went wrong more easily. Oh, I do you, see. Yeah. Do you use software to capture everything? Uh, and then you can look back or mm -hmm. everyone's filling out paperwork or how does that work? Yeah. So our system is a little uh, clunky. Um, we use a lot of like Excel sheets and web forms and things like that. Um, but there are definitely uh, software programs out there that different breweries use. Um that all have their, you know, merits, uh, but we do track panel performance. So um, our panelists all have like a running cumulative score uh, that includes their uh, daily attendance and then also how well they perform with uh, their spikes. So if you, you know, if you're a trained panelist, but you only show up once a month, you're not really refreshing your memory of what our beers taste like. So you're not as useful to me on panel 
Likewise, if I intentionally spike a sample and put it on panel and you go right by it and you're like, yep, everything's fine, uh, you're not that useful to me either. <laughs> so when we uh, pull in everybody's data from a panel, we'll sit there and kind of like look at their scores and weed out the people who aren't technically validated at that point and not count their data. They'll still get credit for coming to panel so that they can eventually get back to a place where we count them. Uh, but yeah, we do keep an eye on everybody's performance. So oh, it's what, not, what pressure. I know. You don't, you don't <laughs> vote people off the island. No. Yeah. Okay. No. That's and that's and you can you're yeah, you're never really kicked off. You can still keep coming back and trying to get back in uh back in the green zone. But mm -hmm. and also cool. people we know that people have uh different sort of sensitivities um, and blindnesses to specific flavors and aromas. Um, and a lot of that is actually genetic. There's not really much you can do about it. Like 20% of the population, I think, can't really smell diacetyl. So if you're, you know, born with not being able to smell diacetyl, there's not much you can do about it other than try to figure out other ways you can perceive it, whether it's like a mouthfeel thing or mm. anything yeah, I, like that. You can have that slickness. Slick. Yeah. 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 I get that with diacetyl. I mean, but I'm not yeah. blind to it. So I, ugh, uh, not my favorite. Uh, <laughs> I don't think there's any off. Ah, that's not true. There's some off flavors that are, that can be pleasant uh, in certain beers, but yeah, there's so many of them too. Um, what other ones do you train people on? Like, which ones do you think customers should know more about? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, let's see. I would say one that people kind of go by sometimes is acetaldehyde, which is like a green apple. Some people get it as like a cooked pumpkin. Some people get it as paint. Yeah, uh, I get it, it as really, paint, latex yeah. paint. Ugh. Yeah, it can really... Uh, <laughs> you know, present different ways to different people. And that one is usually actually also a yeast health issue. And it's more um, that sort of the beer sat warm for too long um, mm. without either getting chilled or having the yeast drop off of it. Um, and that one, since it is so different, so many different people, I think can manifest itself as Ugh, there's something kind of wrong with this, but I don't really know how to describe it. Um, and it can just sort of generally take away from the overall aroma and flavor of the beer. So that's a good one. <laughs> for, for your tasters, are you actually keeping track of who's blind to certain things? And, and again, so maybe you're not completely discounting their comments, but you would discount them on diacetyl because you know they're blind about diacetyl. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's where, uh, you know, sort of taking like the sort of lump sum of everybody's data comes in handy because it does sort of smooth that out. Um, right. So as long as you have, if you have like a, a set threshold of, hey, if, you know, 25% or more, say, of my panelists say that this beer isn't correct, then, you know, we're just going to figure out what to do with it, whether it's retasting it at a later time or blending it or anything like that. Um, you don't necessarily need everybody to say, hey, this beer has a diacetyl problem or whatever it is. But as long as you have a few people who can pick it out then I think you're in a good place. And it might be that the few people who picked out the diacetyl in that one sample went right by a different issue that some of your other panelists picked up on. So it's really good to have right. sort of a mm -hmm. diverse uh, panel base. And if you get to know your panelists, then you can also, you know, get a feel for who's good at what. So right. if you think you might have an issue with something, you can say, oh, I know that, you know, Sam is really good at tasting this one particular attribute, if I give them a sample and they say, yeah, this is bad, then you know, okay, yeah, we need to look into this. But if they can't get it and you know that they're really sensitive to it, then maybe you're just fine. And, hmm. and are you actually testing, like you're doing these, these tastings twice a day. Usually it's for, like you say, you know, recipe change or whatever, but are you deliberately putting in a bad beer every now and again, just to kind of like, make sure people are paying attention or oh yeah we totally like do it. that <laughs> <laughs> yep yep Fun. uh it it varies in frequency um you know during like busy production times maybe we don't have as much of a chance to get those extra samples on panel but we do try to put them in where we can um, and we do give feedback to the panelists uh oh. after they've like submitted their uh forms we'll let them know hey by the way that sample was spiked so that, you know, if they missed it for whatever reason, they can go back and revisit it and be like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it now. And then it just helps with like sort of continuous training. 
do you ever put the same beer in twice and see if people actually like say the same thing about the same beer? Um, we have a lot of like replicate samples okay. sort of, um, just be just by the nature of being like a larger brewery, you know, you might yeah. come onto panel and just have like multiple tanks of the same beer brand on the same panel. Um, I don't know why I'm so obsessed about catching people not being good tasters. That seems to be the <laughs> theme of my questions here. Um, <laughs> um I want to ask, like when you're doing these tasting panels, presumably you're trying to hit like it's not majority wins you're trying to hit a high a, a high mark like if anybody's getting diacetyl then somebody in market is going to get diacetyl right so you're trying to make sure nobody gets diacetyl is that fair yes and no um in an ideal world every beer that you put out would have you know a perfect score all the time um but that's not you know the most feasible thing yeah. um i think it's really just figuring out you know, what's part of the profile and what's not, what, you know, what would make someone say, this is not what I was expecting out of this beer and kind right. of, you know, eliminating that. Um, and to that end, we do uh, taste every beer that goes through here twice along the process. So it needs to get checked out twice before it can even hit a package. Okay. Um, yeah. And you're working with like brand, so like brand standards. So like, let's say you're talking about 60 minute and right. it should be this color with this flavor and this mouthfeel. And you're just kind of the way that when I did sensory panel back, back in the day, <laughs> it was, uh, you would have to, you know, like, all right, these are the things I'm looking for. And if I don't find them, I mark them, um, not fit to serve or, right. you know, you, you flag it. So they, you bring it to the sensory head's attention. Um, yeah, yeah yeah you're like the you're like the you're like you I don't want to say gatekeeper because that has different connotations but you're like the protector of the beer you know you're the exactly. person that makes sure that when I drink a 60 minute outside of uh you know at my local bar it's supposed to taste the way that everyone there wanted it to um yes. and that's your job that's a, a very big responsibility I love that <laughs> <laughs> well and you know it's not just it's not just sensory, like sensory is a really important uh, component because you have that human palate that kind of puts all of the different components of the beer together and says like, yes, this is what 60 minute is supposed to taste like. Um, we do have an excellent quality program here mm -hmm. that sort of puts numbers to a lot of those different attributes. Um, and that's really helpful too. Um, when sensory and quality are working together in concert, um, you can get a lot of supporting data about things that you may or may not see. Um, so for instance, if um, we put a beer through panel and, you know, a few people say, hey, I'm picking up diacetyl in this. I don't expect there to be diacetyl in this um, brand profile. We can actually go into our like database and find the actual numbers for diacetyl that we measured on our GC and say, oh yeah, this checks out. Uh, this tank was actually out of spec for diacetyl. And then you have that like really nice um, sort of correlation between those findings. And it really helps you to kind of figure out what went wrong and backtrack and how do we prevent this from happening again. Um, but that that said, there's not a numerical measurement for every single flavor attribute of a beer. You know, you have the big ones. And depending on how advanced the brewery's uh, quality lab is, there are more or less things that you can actually measure and do measure on a daily basis. Um, we test a lot because we have a very advanced lab, I would say. Um, whereas like your corner brew pub probably doesn't have a GC that they're running VDK uh, vicinal Daikito. Yeah, I don't, I don't uh, think they would have that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, you don't, you don't well have funded. that. <laughs> right. Um, but it is really nice when you do have that and you can kind of tie those things together. Um, but yeah, then again, there's not really you know, a mathematical number that you can put on, oh, this has the correct amount of piney hop aroma that I would mm -hmm. expect. So you do need that human palate in there right. to help. Cool. Um, what would you say to people at home in terms of how they might train their palates, particularly for off flavors, how they might learn off flavors? Oh, uh, yeah, that's a tough one. Um, so some, some of the off flavors are actually available um, through 
like the BJCP um, and through uh, the Siebel Institute, I think you can purchase like off flavor spike kits. They do get kind of expensive. So it's probably best to try to get some friends together um, and, you know, make like one big doctored sample of beer and taste it together. Um, there are, there's also different ones that you can do with, you know, things that you might find um, just on the shelf. Like you could mimic an acetic aroma in beer by just adding a little bit of vinegar to beer, for instance, mm. um, salt, sugar, you know, those things will capitulate salty, sweet flavors. Um, yeah, there's a ton of uh, information online about like how to spike beers um, with household items. Uh, there's also a lot of literature about there, just literature out there just as far as uh, beer styles and sort of beer style guidelines. One of the things that I used to do um, when I was sort of learning how to do all of this and develop a vocabulary was to just kind of sit down with the BJCP style guidelines for a particular style um, and try to find some of the classic examples that they list at the bottom of each substyle, uh, just those commercial brands, and then go and pour myself a sample of that and sort of taste it alongside those tasting notes while just reading along. And you can kind of start to think, oh, okay, so this is what like a toasty malt aroma smells like. And then you can just sort of build your vocabulary from there. Right. Um, and then just anytime you do drink a beer, just maybe try to jot down some notes as far as what you're perceiving, um, aroma, appearance, flavor, all of that. Um, and just try to develop your vocabulary. I think the vocabulary part is one of the things that's hardest for people just starting out. They're like, oh, this just tastes like beer. I don't know how to describe <laughs> what I'm tasting. Uh, and so I think just having the words to kind of uh, describe those aromas and flavors is a really big thing. Um, I kind of have sort of a question out of left field here. Um, <laughs> Dogfish... Don, that's very pop. That sounds like you. <laughs> Dogfish Head is kind of well known for doing, well, off-centered ales, right? For yes. off-centered people. Um, so very interesting, creative uh, brews. How do you judge off or how do you look for off flavors in a beer like that when it's something unusual? Like, you know, maybe Midas Touch, maybe the original Midas Touch had diacetyl in it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really just sitting down with, you know, the beer that the brewmaster intended to make. Like, okay, yes, this is this is the beer as I intended it. This is the profile that we're trying to capture and just really trying to just familiarize yourself with what that entails uh, as much as you can. Um, and that's actually how we do train on new brands. So anytime we do introduce a new beer, um, I'll get a sample of like the basically the best uh, prototype beer that we made um, and just have our panelists kind of fill out a tasting sheet about it. And then when we do start making that beer in larger quantities, I give them back their sheets and they can oh. reference, oh, okay, this is what I tasted when I tasted the original version. Mm. How does this stack up to that? Oh, I see. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Yeah, it works. So everyone, yeah, everyone's on the same page when it comes right. to knowing what to expect when you're when you're going with beers that can be, you know, off you know off the style guidelines let's say yeah so, yeah for huh. sure very cool very very cool <laughs> um any like i mean obviously you mentioned it, like the, the corner uh brew pub or whatever they they can't buy a gas chromatograph um anything that they should be doing that they can be doing that might be more economic or even home brewers to improve their homebrew when you know i'm i'm guessing no home brewers have a gas chromatograph probably not, uh, probably so, not. <laughs> uh, what can they do to make sure um you know maybe they're blind to diacetyl and they want to make sure that their beer doesn't have diacetyl how what can they do yeah uh, i would plug both joining a local homebrew club and entering homebrew competitions so depending on where you're at geographically um hopefully you have access to a homebrew club um, that is just like a huge uh, help. I joined the Ann Arbor Brewers Guild after uh, I had done probably my third or fourth batch of uh, homebrew. And all my friends and family had been like, oh, yeah, this is great. 
Mm-hmm. That was like all I got. And I was like, well, is this actually good? Or are you guys just telling me this because you don't want to hurt my feelings? And so I just walked into a room with, you know, a group of strangers and was like, hey, can I pour this Maybach for you? And they were like, uh, sure. And I got some really good feedback, which was really helpful. Um, so definitely local homebrew clubs have a lot of people who have been doing this for a long time. Um, and we'll be happy to offer you feedback. And then a lot of people think that, you know, entering competitions is just for getting medals and getting prizes and like, oh, if I don't think my beer is very good, why would I do this? Um, and the BJCP actually has a lot of really well-trained judges who are good at, you know, describing what beers taste like and smell like. So even if it's just a matter of, oh, I brewed this beer and I something smells wrong and I don't know what it is, even just like submitting that beer to a competition, knowing that you're probably not going to meddle with it, you know, at least you can get some feedback sheets back that say, you know, slight chlorophenol aroma. And then at the bottom of the sheet, they'll tell you, hey, you might want to look into, you know, replacing your plasticware because you might have like some cracks or contaminations or things like that. Um, That can be hugely helpful and just point you in the right direction of, you know, where you might be going wrong or what you might be able to do better. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Em, do you have any other questions? No, I just think sensory is so cool because it's so (laughs) much, it's so helpful. A lot of breweries don't especially smaller breweries don't think they can do it but you can anyone can anyone can start a sensory program you just have to yes. know what you're looking for uh, you and know customers. how you, yeah, yeah customer like you know taste this what yeah. do you think of this feedback yeah. sheets for customers when you do new beers totally um, i mean that's that's a great way to do sensory having training your tasting room staff even if your brewery is less than 10 people it's like five six seven people trying everything and knowing what everyone's strengths and weaknesses are, you can have a sensory program too. You know, you don't have to be a dogfish head, you know, yeah, to, for to sure. do it. Anyone can do it. And it's, it's just really cool. And it's a very great way to have good beer quality. Yeah. Definitely. And I would, I would always encourage people, beer drinkers to, to improve their tasting and, and vocabulary, as you say, Amy, because uh, I think not only, you know, people think, Oh, I don't want to take beer so seriously. But it all it enhances your everyday life in terms of food, uh, oh, for and sure. coffee and everything too. So um, yeah, yeah. And the other way around, tasters. yeah. <laughs> the other way around too. Like I feel like you can really develop your beer vocabulary just by thinking about like foods and coffee and other beverages that you're tasting, and really just trying to like capture you know what you're smelling and tasting. And then if you do pick up some of those flavors and aromas in beer, you know, then you have a word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Amy. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, where you. can people find you on socials? Um, my Instagram is Amy, A-I-M-E-E underscore brew. Amy brew. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Thanks for All your right. time. Yeah. yeah thank thanks you. for having me. All right. Cheers. 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 We'll continue our show with Kara Simpson of Kara Technology, but first, a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is John Hall, the editor of All About Beer, inviting you to check out the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast. It's available on all of the major platforms, and the weekly show features long-form conversations with brewers, growers, and personalities from the beer industry. New episodes release every Wednesday. Just search Drink Beer, Think Beer. Attention all managers and team leaders. Do you want to provide your staff with the best training in the beer industry? Look no further than Beer Savvy Online by the Cicerone Certification Program. In just a few hours, your team will master the fundamentals of excellent beer service, styles, and beer flavor. At the end of the course, your team can earn a globally recognized beer industry credential. And the best part, as a manager, you can monitor your team's learning progress. Set your business apart with a beer-savvy staff today. Learn more by visiting cicerone.org and click on the group training button. With a degree in politics from Goldsmiths in London, Cara is an experienced beer taster who has judged in beer industry competitions in Europe, Mexico, Brazil, and the United States. Having joined the company in 2015, Cara currently provides technical support to professional food and beverage taste panels all over the world. Cara has received more than 300 hours of taster training across multiple sectors since joining Cara Technology. 
She has facilitated taster training courses across Europe, South America, the United Kingdom, and the United States, and currently supports more than 1,000 tasting panels across the globe. Welcome to the show, Kara. Hi, how are you doing? Excellent, excellent. Thank you. Um, so tell us about Kara Technologies. Yeah, so I, my name's Kara. I'm from Kara Technology Limited. And the, the main thing that we do is we manufacture and sell Aroxa flavor standards. They're used to train assessors in the food and beverage industry all over the world. Then once your uh, tasters are trained, we also offer proficiency testing schemes that are blind taste packs to test whether they can pick up those flavors, as well as on-site training and online training to support your panel as well. We started in beer, but kind of a bit like the beer industry, we've evolved since that and work in lots of different types of food and beverage. So things like soft drinks, seltzer, uh, kombucha, spirits, wine, all these fun things. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, is your business then mostly uh, working with breweries or do you do consumer uh, off flavor training or flavor training? Yeah, we're, we're mostly focused, let's say, more on the production side. So more kind of, let's say, whether that product is fit to leave the premises. So if it's in beer, whether it is good enough to leave the brewery, uh, and if not, then what's wrong with it? But also, uh, let's say you're making your flagship IPA. Uh, does it taste the same way each time or, or what's going wrong? What's deviating each time? We do a little bit on the, the consumer side. And at the end of the day, consumers know what is wrong with a, with a beer or with another product. They're just not able to vocalize it in the same way. So the key thing is making sure it's right before it gets out to market. We're there to hit that with that. Okay, cool. I'm a big um, yeah. I'm a big fan of the Aroxa like capsules, and that's a big part of your market is doing things where all right, this tastes like diacetyl, and then you can spike yeah. the beer, uh, and they're great for breweries. But also, if you were leading a consumer thing at a brewery, if they had like a beer school or whatnot, that's where. And any anyone can buy Aroxa caplets, right? You just go to the website. So like, if yeah. you were if you're a real nerd and you're like, I want ethyl acetate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just go to uh, aroxa.com and you can buy from there. We work in close to 200 countries, so we're we're pretty all over the place. So wherever you are, we can usually get it to you. Um, but yeah, we I mean, we work, let's say, as I said, mostly on the within companies, but for sure we have individuals that want to know what things smell and taste like. Um, and also that say people who are keen that say in brewing, home brewers, things like that as well, work quite closely with. But I'm sure there's consumers out there that, as I said, they're able to pick up different flavors within things. We detect flavors at a single compound level, at a single flavor level. And what we do is we manufacture those individual flavor compounds, those chemicals. Uh, they're all things you find within those products, and then they're used to train on them. Uh, both, let's say, positive flavors, but also off flavors. So things that you wouldn't want to occur in your product for various reasons. Okay. So let's say uh, like a homebrew club or something wanted to have um, like off flavor training or positive flavor training, I guess, then they can, they can uh, buy these capsules, Aroxa capsules, capsules, and then, and then what do they do with them? Yeah, so we, we sell a, a range of mixed kits. So essentially, uh, our Uno kit, for example, is focused on the mostly off flavors that you'll find in beer. And then essentially with each capsule, you add it directly to a liter of beer, whatever you'll be using, um, and then serve up to uh, 100 mils per assessor. So you could train 10 people in a room with that amount. Um, and essentially you go through each flavor and, and say what it smells and tastes like. Um, all of the information is on our website. We also provide handy cards that say what things smell and taste like uh, that they might remind you of. So things like diacetyl might remind you of butter, butter popcorn, and caramel. We'll usually kind of give three or four descriptors so that people can uh, find one that they resonate with. One might not make sense to them and another one might. So it's giving them a, a, a range of options. Okay. So... Um... Uh, you know, you bring up diacetyl, for example, and I do personally, I find sometimes it presents as butter and sometimes it presents as caramel. Is there a reason why um, uh, why it sometimes presents differently? 
Yeah, I mean, we all differ massively in our, our sense of smell. I mean, what one key part of it is how the sense of smell is is stored within our brain. Of it's closely linked to our memory function of our brain, so it, it draws on your experiences within life, uh, things you've smelt, things you've tasted, uh, things you've been walking down the street and occurred. Um, it all depends on our personal experiences. And let's say the individual flavor compounds themselves, they'll sometimes present slightly differently at different concentrations. Um, oh. And that's really to do with, let's say, the, the amount of concentration of the flavor within that product. So let's say something like DMS, um, it smells of sweet corn. Um, it can be at higher levels, a bit more kind of tomato sauce, uh, ketchup-y, and then at different concentrations, sweet corny. But as I said, for each person that can differ greatly based on their life experiences and their sense of smell and threshold detection of those flavors. Don, it's really cool. So when you take the Aroxa class, which I have done, um, yeah. you, which uh, I got third place in the class and not to toot, you know, toot my own voice. <laughs> nice. um, yeah, actually, I think Karen and I, we tied because Karen um, was in the you should say it's a it's a tough class. So coming third is is a really mean feat. <laughs> I uh, I will say what was it? Uh, uh, first place was Joe Vogelbacher, who's a master yeah. cicerone, and I want to say second was Dan Imdike, who's also a master cicerone, and then yeah. me that will never be a master cicerone. So yeah. um, <laughs> I'm never going to take that never going to take that exam again. Um, so it was, but it was a, the way that you and then your so your father teaches the class. Yep. And they, so what he does is they spike them really strong and then slowly by slowly, they get lesser and lesser and lesser. And oh. so, so by the yeah. analogy is we explain it, how we do sensory training is we explain it like limbo dancing. You wouldn't turn up for your first limbo dancing class and they'd have the bar on the floor. You're kind of starting really high and then it's getting gradually reduced that it shouldn't feel too much more difficult because we're going down in kind of small concentrations at a time. But if we kind of, let's say, lower the bar from really high to half the level, it would feel like quite a jump. So we kind of try and make it that it's you're, you're starting with, um, let's say you're learning to swim with armbands on, and then we're slowly moving the, the stabilizers. <laughs> oh, and so, so two questions. One is, I'm surprised to hear that because I'd be afraid of like, there'd be palate fatigue or something like that, that you'd start heavy and go light. But then yes. uh, my, yeah. my other question then is like, uh, and maybe this is more for M, but um, you, to use your DMS example at the, you're saying that at the high level, I'll, I'll smell or taste this tomato or, or ketchup. And then at some point it's actually going to kind of turn and, and be more sweet corn. Yeah, so I, I guess addressing the palate fatigue first, and, and M can vouch for this, when we do a, our training, let's say a, a one-day course or, or more than that, we'll do a minimum of around 55 samples a day. So oh. quite quite a high number. And the key thing is uh, it's kind of a bit of a myth, particularly around beer sensory. So to give some background, we've been doing whiskey training all week. And with that, you do get an element of sensory fatigue, but it's purely the alcohol is irritating your nose, even diluted to 20%. But with beer, the kind of myth is around palate fatigue. It, it doesn't really exist. The key thing is it's just fatigue. It's you're getting tired because you're having to concentrate quite a lot of your body is switching off. Your mind is switching off because you're concentrating. It's hard work. It's a bit like going to the gym and exercising all day. You're having to, to work quite hard but your sense of smell is still working perfectly. So it's just making sure that you're oh. still engaged and then you'll still be able to smell and detect it. Oh, yeah. palate fatigue yeah. is a myth. Well, in, in beer, for sure, in the sense, and I think we prove that anytime we do a, a training course that the number of samples we get through a day is is quite a lot. So oh. it's, more, it's more you're just getting tired because you're having to concentrate quite a lot rather than your sense of smell stops working. Okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah. And let's say about the, the DMS, again, that, that really relates to a bit around the product that you're using. So let's say the matrix that you're using, but as well, let's say you as an individual, because as I said, our sense of smell differs quite a lot and differs quite a lot with some compounds in particular. Okay. Yeah, because with DMS, when it's a really high threshold for me, I get, it's just like corn, like cream corn. 
yeah um or almost cabbagey and it's it's woof. like it's it's really fun to see when you're just like or you're judging or you're drinking in like a bottle share or you're at a brewery that's not super great uh <laughs> seeing what everyone you know oh i'm getting this flavor do you get it and then talking about it uh is a really great way to also stepping outside of like a classroom setting getting um off flavors yeah, and let's say, let's say take DMS as an example, is it's one that has loads of descriptors in the sense of we'll call it sweet corn, we'll call it Heinz tomato ketchup or baked beans like you get in the UK. But you can also flip your mind when you're assessing it, let's say you're using the DMS capsules that we have, is you say to people strawberry jam and it smells exactly like strawberry jam. So you can then kind of flip your brain to make it seem sweet. Um, it's also truffles. So if you ever smell <laughs> truffles and it's what the wine industry call truffles, they're a bit better with, uh, naming things than us. We call it sweet corn. They call it truffles, but <laughs> I would thing... never consider sweet corn to smell like truffles. Yeah, exactly. but... <laughs> no, neither would I. Key thing is DMS is in all of these things. So also the, oh, I see. Outside of the, the capsule element of it is smelling all of these different things. And let's say, yeah, if you smell truffles, other things are going to make up the sense of smell of a truffle, but DMS is a component of it. The same with strawberry jam, the so, same with sweet corn, the same with all these I things. I see. So it's sort of an association. They they call it, they say truffles because they associate DMS with truffles, but it's but no, DMS it's, is a thing itself. DMS is in the truffles. If you right. measured it by GC, you'd find the DMS. Interesting. Yeah. Um, it's like a butyric acid and Bailey's Irish cream. You know, I think we think of butyric acid as, as baby vomit. Yeah. Yes. And then when uh, you think of it as the component in Bailey's Irish cream, which is delicious, there's no baby, there's no baby vomit. I think flavors get a bad rap. And when I'm doing training, I always like to say there's always a home for different flavors where it's appropriate. It might not be in your, let's say you're making lager beer. It might be inappropriate there. Let's say Macaptan, you wouldn't want in a lager beer, but it's a really key component of the danky flavor in IPAs. So you would want it in, let's say, in an American IPA. Um, but yeah, it really depends on the flavor you work with. Like Butyric is a good example. Uh, Diageo, when they're making Bailey's Irish cream, they make sure they buy milk that is heavy in butyric acid. So it's producing uh, a lot of it, but it contributes to that creamy flavor that you have wow. in Bailey's Irish cream. So it's, it's right time and place. Let's say with the whiskey training we were doing this week, uh, a key component of bourbons is uh, trans 2 non which is the papery mm. character you find in beer. And yeah. if, you didn't, if you didn't have trans 2 non it wouldn't be bourbon. So it's kind of every, every flavor has a home, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> How do you oh. teach on like when they're supposed to be off flavors? So like a lot of people when they have like, um, I guess the example is like Pilsner or Kell can be diacetyly. And so people see that as a flaw, but it's the main component of the beer. How, how does someone like, how do you talk about that? Yeah. So I've had it, they say even doing training within the, the Czech Republic, for example, and said, well, this would be a positive in your Czech lager beer that you're making. But if you made a international or an American lager, you made an IPA, it would be a fault. I think it's more for them that say them understanding their product and knowing whether it's meant to be there on purpose. Um, a bit of understanding that say around both the process of how you make the product, but I guess the, the description and profile that they have for that product and what, what is an acceptable level or should it be part of the, the product itself? Okay. Yeah. Cause um, yeah, I, I find that there's certain people are, yeah, they're like, yeah, like, this isn't supposed to be here. And then you're like, no, it is. <laughs> Take something like uh, acetaldehyde, for example, of mostly a, a fault in most things. But at a low level, AB and Bev want a small amount of acetaldehyde in Bex. It's part of the flavor profile, for example. So it really is a time and place and what these people want within their brands and what is the objective. Great. Yeah, kind of like a Heineken, skunky Heineken, the yeah, MBT, yeah. Yeah. yeah, or yeah, the, what is it, 3-methyl-2-butene-1-thiol? Yeah, the... there we go. Right. Wow. There we go. Yes. Still got wow. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, in these uh, capsules, Cara, is it just the pure chemical? Is it that simple? 
Yeah, so I, I guess a point of difference, um, essentially what we do, of not to get too techie into it, is we'll um, buy in the pure chemical, we'll then purify it, we'll dry it, then we nano-encapsulate it for stability and using pharmaceutical methods. Essentially what that means is we're trapping the flavor compound in a cyclodextrin and we explain it like it's trapping the flavor molecule within a donut ring. So you're trapping it inside and it only gets released when you add it to the thing that you're using. So whether that be beer or soft drinks or water. But the key thing with our process is we make sure that it's 100% pure. So if you're training on diacetyl, it's only diacetyl that you'll be mm. smelling. The key point of difference to that is if you buy from a Sigma Aldrich or some other, let's say, sensory providers within the market, you won't be getting the 100% purity. The main reason why that's so important is even if you're 99.9999% pure, you won't be able to find the anosmias uh, yourself or within your panel. So anosmia is a uh, smell blindness. It's a bit like being colorblind. So it's genetic. There's nothing you can do about it. Blame your parents of if you are smell blind to diastole, you'll never be able to smell it. But if you use something that only had a 99.999% purity, you'd be picking up the 0.0001% of the other stuff that is the background noise. So you'd be thinking that that smells of diacetyl, whatever that smell might be in the background, it could be a floral note, it could be coconut, it could be something else, but that's what you'd think it is. With ours, it's only one thing, and we do lots of internal checks to check that it's only one thing so that you can tell what flavors people are able to identify and what they might be smell blind to. Okay. Um, What's the most popular one? that like people really want to train on or what's the, or I guess follow-up question. What's yeah. the hardest one to train people on? Like what, what is one people really struggle with? Cause I know everyone has mine's damascanone. I never get it. I never will. I never got it in the class. Is I never, yeah, it, it has lots of descriptors, but people can't really pinpoint it. I think is the bit of why people struggle with it. Uh, beta ionone, if you've ever tried that, it's got a 50% anosmia rate. So you're wow room um what is I guess that i don't even know what that smells of violets so palmer violets turkish delight um you get it commonly in water as an off flavor and it's not let's say particularly unpleasant but with a higher nosmia rate then it's yeah uh, can be a problem um but i guess a, a more common one is let's say grainy so isobutyraldehyde is a contributing factor let's say to worty beer to non-alcoholic beer for example um, but th that has a 25% anosmia rate. So when you do a training, you'd expect about a quarter of the room to not be able to set that. Um, I'm actually blind to that myself. So it's one no. I can vouch for. Key <laughs> <laughs> um, thing for that, and and thing as well, is is keep trying. Uh, I'll give an example of my, uh, my dad, who uh, founded the company, still the managing director. He was never able to smell geosmin. Um, and to his knowledge, he has not had COVID. He's not had symptoms of COVID. But since COVID and since he's had four vaccinations, I think he can now detect geosmin. Uh, oh, wow. Now very good at geosmin. And the, the key thing is we have no idea how our sense of smell works. So just because you, you think you know how to, you think that you can't detect something, you never know one day you might be able to get it. So always keep trying. Yeah, and geo and geosmin's like sugar beets, right? It's I always yeah. think of it's like rain after the rain, right? It's like a kind of Sorry. that. Oh. Yeah, and that's yeah. in that can be in certain beers. I find it's in like I don't really know. It's it has a, I find it to be a quite a pleasant aroma, to be honest. Um, I really enjoy that smell. Next, so. uh, on that blindness issue, Cara, yep. can I ask? So, um, obviously, I know what sulfur smells like. I don't what <laughs> you know lit matches smell like or rotten eggs smell like but i never get it in beers can 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 aroma blindness be limited like that yeah. or with let's say let's say you take sulfurs in the two examples you gave so let's say h2s and sulfur dioxide it really comes down to technique so with h2s we'll do something called the drive-by and it's imagine a truck is driving past you down the highway or down the street and you just get the vapor trail the smell coming off the back of it 
is we do the same thing, but with beer of waft the glass underneath your nose and you should get the vapor trail of, of sulfur, of H2S. It should smell like rotten or boiled eggs. The key reason for that is you can adapt to the hydrogen sulfide. Um, you go temporarily smell blind, so you don't want to expose yourself to it too much. Um, and similarly with sulfur dioxide, sulfur dioxide is a sensation. It's actually not a smell. It's you get a prickling within your nose. But for some people within the population, what happens is uh, when you smell uh, SO2, it converts and has a chemical reaction in your nose, which produces H2S, which produces the burnt match smell. So you're oh. not actually producing the burnt matches. Your nose is creating the reaction and, and basically tricking you into smelling a compound. Holy cow. There's yeah. other ones like that. Like uh, <laughs> there's like lactic acid, acetic acid, like lactic acid doesn't have a, which one doesn't have an doesn't, aroma, but it has yeah, a flavor. So lactic. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Acetic acid is aroma only. And if yeah. you have it in a, let's say occurring in the wild, let's say in acetobacter and wild biz, it's usually going to be sour. So you're used to having it within the product being sour itself. But if you smell acetic acid on its own, it will smell sour, will remind you of vinegar. But if you hold your nose and taste the sample, and let's say you have a reference sample to compare it to, uh, it should the sourness shouldn't change. Um, it's only when you release your nose that your mouth fills with sourness. The reason for that is our brain with our sense of smell is it acts a little bit like um, doing a jigsaw, is it fills in the jigsaw pieces. Um, it says I've smelled and tasted something like this that was sour in the past and it fills in the gaps for you, even though it wasn't true. <laughs> it's so yeah. cool. It's so your it brain, is totally your brain cool. is wild. <laughs> and with off flavors too, you don't really, I, it, the world of off flavors is, is, uh, it's so nerdy. Don, this is totally your thing. I, I know exactly. <laughs> a, a really another like fun one let's say for that is, a. Uh, so we run proficiency testing schemes all around the world, um, which are used to uh, test tasters and whether they can pick up blind samples. Let's say they have a list of 30 and they have to pick what the different color coded blind samples are. Now, we have millions of data points and the common confusion is isovaleric and butyric. So the cheesy flavor and the baby vomit flavor, people always mix it up. And we see it in training. We see it in proficiency testing schemes. We see it all the time. There's only one part of the world we've seen so far where they don't do that, and that is Vietnam. And it's probably true for other parts of Asia. And the reason for that is isovaleric is fish sauce and butyric is not fish sauce. So for them, it's, oh. a, slam, it's a slam dunk of which one is uh, the isovaleric because it's used so commonly in their cooking that they, they don't understand why other people would mix it up. So as That's I said, awesome. it goes back to your, your life experiences <laughs> and, and what you've done so far. Um, for people who, you know, maybe they're introverts and they don't want to do an off flavor, uh, tasting with, uh, with one of your kits or whatever, what, what can people do at home to, to learn about beer off flavors? Like, for example, you just mentioned fish sauce is, is one thing or what, what, what can people do to train themselves at home? Yeah, I mean, there's loads of common things that you can smell. I mean, you'll struggle to find the, let's say, the individual compound, but I guess even smelling butter for acetyl, smelling bananas, all these different things, but also going out and smelling products yourself. And let's say you don't have to use the technical terms, but buying an IPA from your local bar or whatever it may be. And what does it smell like to you? We find most of the time when we have looked at consumer stuff, consumers are usually pretty bang on. They're just not describing it in the techie way that a brewery would, but they can usually pick up on things pretty well. So they'll say it smells of strawberry. It might remind them of onions or something similar. Um, and the key thing I think that say people want to train is engaging your brain. So smelling and tasting things as regularly as you can. We even say go walk down the street, make sure you're smelling loads of different things. When me and my dad are out and about, we're always sniffing things. <laughs> we might look a bit strange, <laughs> but it's, it's a bit like training for a marathon and exercising. The more you're using your sense of smell, the better you'll be getting. And as I said, you're, it's always linked to your, your memory. So every time you're doing that and smelling outside, your brain is storing this information that will become useful to you later on. Mm. Um, I also wanted to ask, uh, um, 
for your, you know, whether it's your kits or or whatever, when people are spiking a beer, you recommend a, a certain, like, should it be a light lager? Because I'm imagining that certain of these chemicals would present differently in a light lager versus, say, an IPA or a stout or something. Yeah, so this, if you look at the, the beer industry uh, guidelines, they say add it to an American light lager. The key thing for us, particularly if you're in a production setting, is add it to whatever you're using. Maybe start with the lighter one first, just for ease of use, for familiarization. But if you make double IPAs, add it to double IPAs. When we've done our open courses, like Emma's come on, we're usually using seven, seven and a half percent IPA. And yeah, it's, it's a bit more challenging, but the key thing is that you're still able to detect it there. And as I said, the analogy I've used before is using an American light lager is a bit like swimming with armbands on. It kind of only applies to you if you make American light lager. If you don't, then don't use it. Right. Right. Awesome. Thank you. Um, oh. Em, did you have any other questions? I want to, I want to try more off flavors now. There's like, there's <laughs> the thing is there's so many, yes. there's so many off flavors in the beer world. You know, we all know the diacetyl and the DMS and the bigger ones, but it can get really like really, really nerdy and interesting and fun. Uh, I definitely recommend people, you know, do what Kara said, go, go, you know, I love walking down the street. Uh, Randy Moser says, what is it? Chicago at lunchtime. Yeah. is the best time to go smell just get Chicago out of- generally is a great place to just walk around and sniff things <laughs> yeah it's a great yeah great place to just sniff um you know get out and try you know try things i really like for off flavor training go into a brewery that maybe isn't the greatest bringing yeah. some chart yeah bringing some home uh, bjcp homebrew kits i got our homebrew sheets and just yeah. filling them out and being like, what am I getting? You know, thinking more critically about beer is a great way to learn about off flavors. Yeah, yeah sure. Think... It's definitely just it's engaging your brain and thinking about it. And even doing that will, yeah, cause you to get better and yeah, lead to you remembering these things and picking them up in different beers. Yeah. And you, yeah, um... like Burr Captain for me is just New York City summer. Yeah. Because it's trash, just yeah. hot, hot garbage. And you're like, oh man, that's August in Manhattan right there. And that's yeah. the fun part about beer training as well is, is the nostalgia and using your own memory. Uh, it makes yeah. it quite fun. So. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, Kara, we're running short on time. So where can people find you on? Well, actually, before I ask you that, is there anything else that you wanted to explain that we didn't ask you about? Or? No, I think we're good. I think we covered good things this was today fun. And, yeah, focus on the, the a key thing is sense of smell is we know nothing we uh know exactly what doesn't work but how the sense of smell should work is it doesn't make any sense to us so yeah key thing is hopefully we'll figure that out one day but so far no one knows <laughs> so uh where can people find you on social media or uh or if they have questions how can people uh, contact you yeah, so people can contact us on uh, through our website, aroxa.com, and we're also on social media on aroxafs on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you, Kara. Great. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, guys. So, Em, what'd you think of that? So nerdy. Yeah. I re- we're really, I, you know what I really love about this podcast is that we're just two nerds that love beer, and this is for all the other nerds. and i love how scientific beer can be especially when you're talking about off flavors and the unique ways that you can train be it in a classroom setting or going to have you know beer at a brewery or when you work at a brewery that's just the sky's the limit when you want to learn about beer yeah i agree i mean i've been into beer for about 25 years uh, as you know, I'm uber nerdy about it. I've probably read oh, yeah. over a thousand books about beer and still, I still learn new things. There's always, it's just amazing. I love it. I love it. So That's much. the best part of it. You're constantly learning. And when you're talking about science, it's just even, even nerdier. I love it. Yes. I love it. I mean, we had a PhD on. <laughs> it's yeah. Postdoc, you know, exactly. and she works at a brewery, you know what? Like that's how, how cool is that? That there's a space for almost everyone who loves beer to get involved in beer. Beer is for everyone. You could, you could. That's, uh, I've heard some people say that. Uh, and I <laughs> am inclined to agree that beer is for all. 
as long as they're of legal drinking age. Yes, yes, wherever <laughs> that, whatever that is in your uh, home country. <laughs> all right, well, please, everybody, visit allaboutbeer.com and follow us on social media at allaboutbeer. And if you want to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. Uh, and if you have any questions, please email us, podcast at allaboutbeer.com. That's where you can give us feedback, suggestions, or to inquire about supporting the show through advertising. And speaking of advertising, here's a word from our sponsors. Attention all managers and team leaders. Do you want to provide your staff with the best training in the beer industry? Look no further than Beer Savvy Online by the Cicerone Certification Program. In just a few hours, your team will master the fundamentals of excellent beer service, styles, and beer flavor. At the end of the course, your team can earn a globally recognized beer industry credential. And the best part? As a manager, you can monitor your team's learning progress. Set your business apart with a beer-savvy staff today. Learn more by visiting cicerone.org and click on the group training button. And before we go, if you like this podcast, one easy thing you can do to help us is to give us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. That helps other people find the show. And we would also appreciate it if you would let your beer-loving friends know about the show and help spread the gospel of good beer. M, how can people reach out to you? I am at Pints and Panels across all social media, and my website is pintsandpanels.com. What about you, Don? I am at the Dawn of Beer on Twitter and Instagram, and people can drop me an email at dawn at thedawnofbeer.com. This show is produced by All About Beer. Visit allaboutbeer.com for articles, notes on this show and others, and to connect via the newsletter and social media. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>